Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. We so much appreciate our musicians who work hard every week to lead us in worship, don't we? Thank you to, for all that you do. Yeah, great. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I learned an awfully lot about life waiting for the school bus to come. Now you learn early on that there's, I hate to call it a pecking order, but you know what I mean, with, with all the kids. You show up there and, and there's somebody who manages to make themselves be the most dominant person there. And others who aren't that most, by the way, when you become the most dominant person, you can decide who gets on the bus first. It can be you, it can be somebody else. Um, and, and so the kids would kind of aspire to this. You know, I, I want to be that person who can do that. I want to get on first, you know. You know. I, I want to be important here. And, and you watch, you know, I mean, I, you know, I remember thinking that um, when that kid finally leaves and goes on to the next grade, you know, maybe I can do that. I can be the one. And you watch how the kids interact with all of this, and, and you see there's this, always this struggle for where do I fit? Am I important? Am I not important? Because really, in reality, we all think we are important, don't we? That's, that's why we, we think about those kinds of things. And, and what I discovered, and I, I didn't really understand it at the time, but I, what I'd really run headlong into is, is what you might call the eye giant or, or the minefield or the me monster. Right? Life is about whom? Yeah, me. Life is about me. That is our natural tendency to think that life is about me. And so when you say, when I ask, let's try it again, life is about, oh no, no, it's about me. And so life teaches us to live this way. You know, the, the things that happen and how people interact and the situations around us. Life teaches us to live this way, to, to see ourselves as the most important person in every situation. Now I know we grow and learn and sometimes we learn to act differently. But I'm talking about at the core of our being, uh, where we've started from in life, it's very natural for us to desire to feel important. I, I like to feel important. I like to feel like I matter. And I think that you do too. It's part of who we are as human beings. And so, but we find ourselves because life does not always acknowledge how important you are, does it? Have you noticed that? Life doesn't acknowledge how important you are when it comes to feeling those ways. And so we watch kids in various life situations. It's really obvious because some use their size to establish their importance. Some use their appearance to establish their importance. Others use their intelligence. Some people are really good at relationships and leveraging those for their importance. And then you watch and see that some never succeed at experiencing this importance that they would like to experience. But the bottom of it all, 
There is this desire to feel important. It's part of who we are as human beings. We want to matter. And the fact that we really do feel like we are the most important person at any given point in time, we, we do feel that whether life cooperates with us or not on that. I am important. That's how we feel by nature. Now, we learned how all of this works as kids, and we talk about watch a group of kids for a while, and you can see it at work, and some feel very important, others are feeling important because they're connecting with other kids who feel important, and, and others are trying hard to figure out how they fit into the equation. Sometimes you see a kid who's just given up trying, but even that kid is taking care of number one by sitting quietly in the corner out of the way trying to avoid getting hurt anymore because they still feel important. Life isn't treating them that way, but they feel like they are. Now, as adults, it'd be nice to say we just graduate from that, wouldn't it? Turn 18, eh, not a problem anymore. Not so. As adults, I think we've just become much more sophisticated in how we deal with it all, right? It's not so evident. We've learned how to act in ways maybe that are more acceptable to others. Um, but make no mistake, we still have this natural tendency toward this. And so we come into a social setting. You know, depending on what your personality is, but you come into a social setting and you try to figure out where you're going to fit there. Who, who's here that you can connect with? Where you might be at risk in this situation and where you feel safe. And, and if we do come, if we do what comes natural to us, we're going to move around and find that place in that social setting that works best for who? For me. Maybe you're not consciously aware of it, but if you really stop and think about it, this is your natural tendency. And it's because you do feel that you're important. And the desire to feel important is not wrong. Okay? God, I believe, made us to be important and to do important things. And so we have a desire for that. That desire is not wrong. But here's the problem, because like everything else that it touches, sin has taken this desire to be important and twisted it and, and turned it into a detrimental thing in our lives. Do you notice how sin does that to everything? Everything that God intended for good, sin comes and twists and messes it up. Well, we all start off with a sinful nature. We inherit it from our parents, right? And they inherit it from their parents, and they inherit it from their parents, and we go all the way back up to Adam when he first sinned. And so since Adam disobeyed God, Jesus is the only person who was not born with a sinful nature. But you and I came into life with a sin nature, and it runs deep, its impact is huge in our lives. Consider a couple things that the Bible has to say about this. David, in talking about it in Psalm 51.5, said, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And it's hard for us to think about it that way, but the idea is we, from the very moment we came into being, there was a, a corruption going on. There was a virus, we might say that went to work, and all the, the things that could be good and valuable and normal sin goes to work trying to corrupt and corrode and, and, and break down the basis for 
And in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul describes this in a way that he says, here's what we would be like if, if we were left to sin, if, if God did not do something. Here's what every one of us would be like. He says this, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Man, is that bleak? That is bleak, but that is where we are apart from the grace of God working in our lives, folks. Every one of us. We say, what do you mean useless? Well, we're useless when it comes to doing things of eternal value. Things that are done, the right things done for the right reasons, to honor and glorify. We, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. If God had not sought us, we would not have sought him. Right? If God had not loved us, we would have not understood what it meant to love him. Sin has gone deep down inside. And so we, from the moment we're conceived, it's, it's tentacles, it's roots, it's, it's in there working and corrupting and, and just messing things up. And then one day we get saved. And it's all gone, right? Anybody here experience that? No, we get saved, and, and while our identity has indeed been changed, we, from God's perspective, we are no longer sinners, all right? He has changed who we are on the inside and is growing us from the inside out. But the reality is, is we still have all of this corruption of sin that's in our lives. It's, it's like a virus, like I said, and it just shows up here, there, and everywhere and wreaks havoc. But well, one of the biggest results of this sin nature and, and then its ongoing impact in our lives, one of the biggest results of this is that we aren't just saying, I am important anymore. I am important really it could be a fine statement. I am important. God made me, right? He, he, he knew me before I was created. He says he was overseeing my formation in my mother's womb. He has plans. And I am important. But what sin does comes in twisted and says, I am the most important. Right? And so that's why we find ourselves in any given situation struggling because we, not just we feel important, but when this sin thing has done such a number on us, it makes us want to be the most important. And, and then because I am the most important person, I will do whatever it takes then to take care of me I will do whatever it takes to protect me, whatever it takes to make myself feel okay, whatever I have to do to avoid or attack whatever does not make me feel okay. You, you understand this is why we so easily hurt other people and treat them wrongly? Because we don't value them the way we should because we are valuing ourselves as the most important. This is also why we are so quick to get hurt. You know, when someone treats us wrongly, because what? We aren't being valued the way we ought to be valued. And this is why we say, why me? When something hard or difficult comes into life, why me? As if, don't you know who I am? Why me? Well, I'm not going to go there too much today, but you know, the real question would be, 
Why not me? But that's, that's for another sermon. Now listen here. Even people who have a terrible self-image still see themselves as the most important person in the room. Now, they aren't getting treated that way, and they struggle with that. But they see themselves as the most important person. How do we know this? Because what are they consumed with? Someone who has a terrible self-image, what are they consumed with? Themselves. And, and how they lack. And this, so they're still viewing themselves at this high level of importance. You see, the problem is always present when you get down to the root of relationship issues like marriage problems because someone's sense of importance and value isn't being reinforced or is being attacked. I mean, that's the reality. Now, we're in this, start of this sermon series and what it really means to be a Christian. What it, what it really means to live like a Christian. Can you see how this idea that I am the most important person here is a huge obstacle to really living like a Christian? It is. It is so contrary to what it really means to be a Christian, as we're going to see in just a little bit here. And so when we, we start talking about what it really means to be a Christian, it requires a major adjustment from how we naturally view ourselves and how we interact with everyone else around us, what comes natural to us in that, and really how, how we interact and, and think about the whole world. It just gets in the way. And, and do you understand that you can, you can learn how to interact with all this stuff, and you can go through life and have your relationships and all this, and never really even address this issue in your life? You can be a Christian and do Christian stuff. You can come to church. You can serve in ministries. You can give your money. You can talk to people about Christ and not address this issue in your life. But what I want to tell you is if you're going to really live like a Christian, like a Christ follower, you have to address it. You cannot go with just what comes natural to you. We have to change our view of ourselves and how we fit into the world so let's take a look at a couple of things that Jesus had to say about what it really means to be a Christian. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We're only going to look at a couple passages today. We could chase a lot of verses down if we had the time. <clears throat> Luke, chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you today or a phone with a Bible in it, there's a Bible in the pew there that we'd encourage you to follow along with us. It's page 1,193 in the Bible that's in the pew Luke chapter 9. Let's read just one verse here. Verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me. Now let's just stop there. Does anybody here today want to follow the Lord? Yeah, deep, if, if you've come to Christ, okay, if you've received Christ as Savior and he's come with and changed you, yes, deep down inside, that is the desire of your heart. You want to follow Christ. You really do. We want to be real Christ. I mean, do you want to be known as, well, yeah, they're Christians, but not really. No, we would like to have people look at us, and it's the same for, with good motives. We'd like to have people look at us and say, he or she, that, that's a real Christian. You want to know what a real Christian is? Look at him. 
Look at her. So we have this desire. All right, so what's, what's he tell us then? If anyone desires to come after me, let him sign up for basic training course in church. Hmm. No. We could add lots of things we could think of, but no, let him what? What? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so Jesus says two things here specifically. If we are going to be real Christians, real followers of Christ, that we have to have a different way of seeing ourselves. Because if you have this, I am the most important person here mentality, you can't follow Christ like this. Because you won't deny yourself. You'll do everything you can to avoid having to do that. And you will not pick up your cross. You'll avoid that cross whenever possible. But so two things he tells us, that if we are going to be real Christians, genuine followers of Christ, that we have to first deny ourselves. And that means we have to learn to say no to ourselves. And when you view yourself as the most important person in the room, you don't say no to yourself. But you have to learn to say no. And man, don't you like to say yes to yourself usually? Anybody besides me like to say yes to yourself? I like to say yes to me. (laughs) But if I'm truly going to follow Christ, I have to address that and challenge that in myself and learn to say no to myself. We live in a society today that does not know very well how to say no to itself. Right? Anything goes. In fact, we're going to make you say that anything goes. That's the pressure that's coming on us. But as Christians, we can't be that way. We have to... uh, Purposely, on our own, choose to deny ourselves, to say no to ourselves. The second thing here he says is this, take up your cross daily. Well, let's think about this. You know, we, in our day and age, you know, cross, you know, that's that thing that hangs on the wall or around our neck and all this. But in Jesus' day, when they talked about a cross, they were talking about this horrific means of execution. And oftentimes, as they did with the Lord, they would make him take the cross beam that they were going to be crucified on and carry it to where they were going to be crucified. So here's the deal. If you were carrying a cross beam, you weren't coming back. If you were picking up this cross beam and carrying it, it was not going to go well for you. And so he's telling us here that every day as we live our lives, there are going to be things that are going to come up where we are going to have to make a decision. Okay, this is what it means to follow Christ, but if I do this, if if I follow Christ this way, it is not going to go well for me. This person is going to be unhappy with me, extremely unhappy with me. Uh, I might lose my job. I might have to say goodbye to a relationship. It might cost me money. This decision might be a decision I can never come back from. And if I see myself as the most important person here, I won't do it. You see that? Does that make sense to you? 
And so we have to challenge that view of ourselves so that we can say, wait a minute, I am not the most important person here. I can make this decision. I can do this. I, in fact, not only I can, I will. Let's go a little farther over in the chapter. In the Pew Bible, it's one more page over. We look at starting in verse 57. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow you. Jesus' response to him is interesting. He didn't say, all right, man, come on. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, talking about himself, has nowhere to lay his head. What can Jesus promise him if he comes to follow? All Jesus can promise him is himself. You follow me. Wherever I go, whatever that means, whenever, however, whatever. And once again, if if I'm focused on I am the most important person and I have to take care of me and protect myself and, and, and keep the things working so I'm going to be okay, if that's what I'm doing, I'm not going to take that step. Just not. But yet Jesus says if we're really going to be his follower, we have to take that step. We have to reach this point. And, and, and I remember, by God's grace, him bringing me to this point. I remember it. I wasn't yet married. I was still attending University of Missouri in Kansas City. I was at home uh, up one morning reading my Bible, thinking, talking to God, looking out the window across the lake where we lived. And just he just made it very clear what I need to do. And one of the good decisions I've made in my life. Made plenty of bad ones, but one of the good ones I made was that. That day I said, okay, God, whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want, whatever it means. Now, I haven't always lived that way because I keep coming back up. I'm the most important person and I have to fight that, okay? But I had to reach that place. And if we're going to be real Christians, you have to be that way. And when you're the most important person, you always have your agenda. And there's not room for two agendas when you are going to be a real Christian. And that's what he continues with here. And verse 59, then he said to another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And I think the idea is his father wasn't dead yet. His father was still alive. He wanted to go home and stay there until his father died. And then I'll come and follow you. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. I've said, come, you follow me. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, this sounds tough. Jesus is being tough here, isn't he? But I tell you why he's being tough, because we see it here. Both of them said it. Two words. And look back in there and see if you can see them. They said, me first. Let me first go do this. Let me first go do that. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, there is no me first. There isn't. And that's why this, wait a minute, I am the most important person is a me-first approach to life, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a me-first looking at life. 
So if we're going to be real Christians, we have to challenge that view of life. We have to challenge the way we look at things and figure out how to step back and say, no, not me first. And obviously you cannot live like a real Christian if you continually view yourself as I am the most important person here. So here's a realization that you need today, okay? You need to come to this realization. At any given point in time, you need to be saying to yourself, here it is, I am not the most important person in the room. Can you say that with me? I am not the most important person in the room. There's lots of variations on this. You can say, I am not the most important person here. Wherever that happens to be, you know, wherever you are, that's it. I am not the most important person in this life circumstance. I am not the most important person in this relationship. I am not the most important person fill in the blank. I am not the most important person in the room. Now, let's take another step. This applies even when you find yourself alone. Because when we're alone, okay, hey, I'm the only one here. (laughs) I'm the most important person here. No, you are not the most important person in the room. You never are. And you need to learn to live by that truth if you really want to live like a Christian. And it sounds harsh, doesn't it? I'm up here today. You're not the most important person in the room. What made you think? That's harsh, isn't it? It's harsh until we stop and think. We need need to ask a question. Well, wait a minute. If if I'm not the most important person in the world, if I'm not the most important person here, if I'm not the most important person in the room, then, then who is? And if it's that big kid that I remember at the bus stop, this is bad news. But if the most important room in the person in the room is Jesus, that's good news. That is very, very good news. Jesus is the one who is always the most important person in the room. Because think about this. This, this. Suddenly this hard truth of not being the most important person, and, and that can kind of really make us get anxious and, because of how we looked at life. Uh, suddenly this hard truth becomes the greatest blessing because the one who is the most important person in the room is the one who gave everything for you. He's the one who valued you so highly that he left heaven, became a human being, lived in a sinful ugly world and then died somehow rather bearing the penalty for our sins and the guilt in such a way that somehow in a way that I can't wrap my head around because God is one and, and he's, he's not separated and yet Jesus hanging on the cross says my God my God why have you forsaken me and and the Bible's talked about him suffering that anguish from the beginning of the world because it pictures him as a lamb, a lamb slain from when from the beginning of the creation Somehow or rather, this pain, this hurt, this struggle, I think it's still very real to Christ. It's finished, but it's still very real. And this is the one who loves you like that. 
who is the most important person in the room. The one who cares about your well-being even more than you do and the one who actually knows what's best for you and will lead you to it. So if you're going to understand then what it really means to be a Christian and to be able to actually live like a real Christian, you have to challenge your natural way of looking at things. You can't just bump along through life being a nice person. You have to give up your old way of looking at yourself and your life and replace it with the way the Lord says to look at yourself and life. You need to reach this conclusion. It needs to become a conscious, ongoing reality. I am not the most important person in the room. Jesus is. Say that with me. I am not the most important person in the room. Jesus is. And we need to start trying to remember to think that way. When something's going on, whatever's happening. And by the way, it will be worth it to you to do this. Worth it. You know, this fits right into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when it says, you know, trust Him, not your understanding. Acknowledge Him how? In all your ways. So as all my ways. Wait, I'm not the most important person here. Jesus is. I'm acknowledging Him in my ways. Promises He will direct your paths. We, if we went back over and looked at verse 24 again, He says, hey, if you try to, and I'm going to add some stuff here in the context we're talking about, if you're going to focus on you being the most important person in the world so that you can save, save your life and protect your life, He says, you're going to lose. You're not going to be who you're created to be. You're not going to experience what I have for you. He says, oh, but if you'll lose your life, if you say, okay, I'm not, I'll let go of this. I'm not the most important person in the room. Jesus, he says, you're going to find your life. You're going to save your life. It'll be a life worth living. It'll be a life of blessing, a life of purpose, a life that makes a huge difference in the world. And so what does it look like then when we start living it out? It's sort of like this. You, you start consciously reminding yourself again, in the normal situations of life, I am not the most important person in the room. Jesus is, huh, I wonder what he would have me do here at this time. What would the Lord, the one who's the most important, what would he want me to do here? And then do it. You'll be saving your life from the devastation of selfishness and bringing into your life all the health and growth and blessing that Jesus gives to those who follow him faithfully. And you will be living like a real Christian. Can you see it? Can you envision what we're talking about? And it starts with challenging that natural way of looking at life that you have, and you do have it. It's challenging that and stopping and learning to see and think about it a different way. Well, what do you think happens in a church when almost everyone has learned this and where almost everyone is practicing this truth on a regular basis? What would it look like in a church? You know, if, if recognizing that I'm not the most important person in the room, Jesus in, makes such a huge difference in the outcome of my life, what happens if we as a church get this together in our lives? If we said, we are not the most important people in the room, Jesus is. When we gather to worship, guess what? We are not the most important people here. Jesus is the most important people here. People. 
When we gather to pray, we are not the most important people in the room. Jesus is. When we gather to fellowship and share our burdens with each other, we are not the most important people in the room. Jesus is. When we serve, we're not the most important people in the room. Jesus is. When we witness and when we share the gospel, we are not the most important people in the room. Jesus is. Would that change us? It would. And yeah, we already see glimpses. We know this, but if we could really... Let him do this in our lives. It would change everything. When we do this, we will become aware of his presence in our worship. We will experience his working in our ministries. And we will see his power through our witness. How many times have you tried to share your faith with someone and it seemed like nothing happened? And we're trusting God does work. But wouldn't it be awesome if all of a sudden you began to experience the power of God through your witness? And when you talk to people, all of a sudden their hearts were stirred. You talk to people and some of them actually respond. Wouldn't that be exciting and encouraging? Well, that's the kind of thing that happens when we finally get it that, hey, I'm not the most important person here. Jesus is. And he wants me to talk to you right now. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you that you speak to us from your word. And I don't know, Father, if this is hard for us to get our heads around today or not, but I pray you'd help us to see that our our natural way of responding to life does not match what it really means to be a Christian. Our natural way of looking at ourselves does not match. So I pray that as we go from here today, that you'll, you'll stir our hearts, remind us that moment by moment we ought to, to challenge how we're looking at life and say, wait a minute, am I looking at this right? Help us to see, Father, when we're sadly looking at things as though we're the most important person. And I pray that more and more each of us, Lord, will start to say, wait a minute, not us, but Jesus And change us, Lord. And be glorified in us in that way. And we cannot accomplish this on our own, Father. We'll just go right back to where we started. So we ask you to work. We trust you to work. We cry out to you to work. And I pray for each person here, Lord, as they look in their lives and say, well, yeah, but how? I pray that they would cry that out to you. And pursue you and not give up until you teach them how. I pray it in Jesus' name.